Welcome to the fifth chapter in the Silver Screen Superman series. In this series, we are celebrating the 75th anniversary of Superman's first appearance by running through the 12 big screen incarnations. This month, we're looking at Superman and the Mole Man. This was originally released on November 23rd, 1951 as a feature film. Oddly enough, it wasn't intended to be a feature film in the first place. At the time, TV was just starting to hit the market and it was just starting to hit in a big way. They were already seeing hits in the movie serials, the radio ratings were down. Uh, mass TV had really hit the market and become available in 1948. And by 1951, it was clear TV was going to be big. So the producers of the radio show and the partners of National Comics, who would later become DC Comics, decided they wanted to migrate the series from radio to TV. The series had been very successful for them. At this point, it had survived the transition away from Bud Collier as the voice of Superman, and they were ready to keep going. So they assembled this effort as a calling card, or essentially a pilot, to shop around and try and get Superman on TV. Now, that was a very uphill battle. Maybe a couple reasons for it. One of them is that the effects and makeup were not really up to par. We'll get into that a little bit more when we discuss the actual content. Part of it was that Superman had been a very successful serial. Serials in general were dying out, but the Kirk Allen serials had become the two most successful serials in history. And Kirk Allen himself priced himself out of the market for doing this on TV. He was asking for more money than they were willing to put forward to put it on TV. I don't know the numbers, I don't know if it was reasonable or not, but they couldn't come to an agreement. So right there, the person they'd been billing as the real Superman and not an actor, because they couldn't get an actor, wasn't available for the TV series. So they recast the two leads. They brought in George Reeves to play the dual role of Clark Kent and Superman, and Phyllis Coates to play Lois Lane. Now here the two of them did get top billing. George Reeves was billed on screen. Now it wasn't terribly easy to get them either. Genre entertainment was not highly respected at the time. Today, studios recognize it for the money-making potential. At the time, that wasn't as recognized, and much like today, genre entertainment isn't always recognized as an art form among the critics. It's seen as more popcorn entertainment, partly because a lot of the straight popcorn entertainment does come out in the form of genre entertainment. So Reeves didn't initially want it to be associated with it. He was looking to be a serious actor. But his agent assured him the series would never get picked up, just take the money and run. Similarly, Phyllis Coates signed on. Neither of them had terribly high hopes for it. Now, this was early in the TV market, so they hadn't quite built the advertising model that exists today. The model at the time was more like product placement. So the production company was the responsible for selling ads within the series. It wasn't the networks or the TV stations like it is today. Today, they just provide an episode that's 44 minutes long, and then it's up to the network or the, the local station to sell the 16 minutes of ad time to fill the rest of that space. At the time, they didn't do that. Most of that one hour was going to be filled by that episode. They would have their own built-in sponsor spots that would come through the production company, and then the network would maybe have riders advertising their other shows. This is part of the reason the older series tended to have longer episodes and less advertising. So if you look at what they had at the time, this pilot for a one-hour series runs 58 minutes long, and actually about 30 seconds, so it's leaving about a minute and a half for any advertising and any other station identification. And that was the intention. When they were shopping it around, they had a very hard time getting it picked up as a TV series, and it didn't look like any takers were going to be out there, to the point where they actually gave up and released it as a feature film as a backup plan to try and recover some of the production costs. This was back in the day when features were anything over 40 minutes, and Saturday matinees were usually two animated shorts, then chapters of a serial or two, 
then two features, and then finally trailers. At the time, the ads for other movies were coming at the end of the night, and people were sticking around to watch what was coming next. Again, TV was just starting to come out, so this was pretty much the only way to find out what was coming. So that's actually how they got the name Trailers, because they used to trail after the rest of the feature. But as credits got longer, people were less likely to sit through the credits to see what was coming, especially since they could find out in other methods. Yeah, the movie release was fairly successful. I mean, it wasn't a gangbuster release, it wasn't knocking things out of the park, but it did make a bit of money compared to its budget. And it was one of the first incarnations of Superman that really started dealing with social issues. So the basic plot is that an oil has dug deeper than any oil Derek has ever dug before. And they dug in, you know, well into the crust. They're talking six miles, which some people seem to think is almost the center of the earth. They didn't do their research. That was most of the way through the crust, but that's about it. And then they hit empty space. And a couple of curious little creatures come out. Now, these curious little creatures are supposed to look like, kind of like people, except they're hairy bodies like moles and have overly large heads. What it looks like is short people in suits with plainly visible zippers, with hair that's attached to the back of most of their hands, not all the actors have that, and bald caps that make their heads look really tall that are blatantly obviously fake. And that's probably the single greatest failing of this, is it at no point does it look like these are mole people, it looks like people in suits. And it just doesn't work that well. But these guys come out, you know, they've had a whole dug into their home, they climb through the six-mile shaft, they come up to look around, and the people they encounter panic. You know, one man actually dies of a heart attack out of fear. Lewis Lane gets scared. Others get scared and freak out. And we start getting this mob mentality. And Superman's out there trying to say, don't judge them based on their appearance. Judge them by their actions. We have no reason to think they're hostile. Calm down. People are just going to get hurt. So he spends most of the time actually running damage control. And standing by the bedside of one of these creatures who was shot and wounded, while the other one is almost killed in a fire. He does eventually manage to buy enough time to get people to let these guys go. And you know, they sort of seal up the hole behind themselves. It is a nice little take. It does have Phyllis Coates and George Reeves, who were a great combination. If, if you go back and watch that first season of Adventures of Superman, you'll see that. And a lot of you may have done that. This Superman and the Mole Man feature has been released to home video in three ways that I'm aware of. One is as a special feature in the Adventures of Superman Season 1 DVD set, and the other one is part of either the 14 DVD Superman anthology or the 8 Blu-ray Superman anthology. It's available through all three of those methods. As I said, this was fairly successful. Now, coming into 1951, the radio show did die, and Kellogg's had had very good success advertising their products through that radio show. Notably, Kellogg's Pep is the one that they seem to have been running at least based on the uh, old-time radio Superman show podcast suffered by Adam Graham. He's doing a great job. He's caught up to June 1946 at the time of this recording, so Kellogg's may have changed products by the time the run ended in 1951, but that's still what it was in 46. And Kellogg's didn't want to lose that market because they needed some strong product that they could bring to kids that was their target market and get things through. And they already knew that national and the radio producers had been shopping this around. So about a year after it was made, they agreed on the pickup. So this 26-episode season had actually been made. They got enough production money to do the 26-episode run. There was 24 new episodes. And then they recut this one-hour feature to form two of the episodes in the 30-minute segments. They got that done based on the strength of this, but they still didn't have a sponsor until Kellogg stepped up. And instead of advertising Kellogg's Pep, they opted for Frosted Flakes. It meant a couple of things. One, it meant that Phyllis Coates and Noel Neal got pay cuts relative to the rest of the cast, not just in terms of the sexism that was still happening and sadly still happens today in terms of men and women 
getting paid for jobs, but because this is a breakfast cereal. So they didn't have a problem with Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen waking up after sleeping in the same house and discussing the wonders of this cereal, but they decided it was inappropriate for Lois Lane to be there. So Phyllis Coates and Noel Neal never got a chance to participate in those sponsor spots and get paid for those. They only got paid for the roles in the broadcast. In this one, they were moving to Frosted Flakes. A little bit of a tangent that I found somewhat interesting when I stumbled across it. Uh, Frosted Flakes came out of Corn Flakes. Corn Flakes were created in the 1930s in the effort to reduce juvenile delinquency. It seems Roy Kellogg felt that he could help cut back on juvenile delinquency by promoting heavily starched products, thinking that you know, if you eat starch for breakfast, it'll reduce your libido. So that was his goal with cornflakes. Now, by the time the 50s rolled around, cornflakes was losing its popularity among the kids that he was trying to help in this fashion. So they introduced frosted flakes, which were cornflakes with enough sugar to try and get people to eat it. So that's where the frosted flakes came from, and that's the goal of the product that was advertised on The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves, was reducing the teenage libido. In any event, they did get the the pickup, they got the production, and when Kellogg's came through about a year later, they finally got these episodes to air. So the 26 black and white episodes aired that year. By the time they were ready to go back for second season because the show had been successful enough, Phyllis Coates was no longer available. She'd committed herself to other projects. So they brought in Noelle Neal, who had starred as Lois Lane in the Kirk Allen serials, and put her on the TV series. And that actually shifts the tone of the series a little bit. I know these podcasts are focused mainly on the feature film aspects, but I did find that first season of Adventure of Superman to be the best of the six. That was a 26-episode run. The focus on that one seems to have been shifted after this movie. You can't look at this movie and think that the special effects and makeup actually worked. Like I said, the, the zippers were standing out visible on all the mole people. It's just not a convincing series. So that first season of the TV series, after this was produced, they looked back on it, shifted the focus, and it's very much an anti-crime show. It really is a show about two investigative reporters. And in your average 27 or 28-minute episode, you've got Superman for maybe the last two minutes, and the rest of that was Clark Kent and Lois Lane doing the investigative reporter thing, solving the mystery, and then when they figure out where the bad guys are, and the bad guys are usually clever crooks and bank robbers and things like that, then Superman shows up to round them up and clean house. But he's only showing up right at the tail end. It also shifted the emphasis a little bit in season two with the loss of Phyllis Coates back to a you know more of a, a three-way dynamic. So Jimmy was always a part of the series, but Jimmy also became a much stronger supporting cast member from season two on. And it really was Clark Kent and Superman first, and then Lois and Jimmy second, whereas the first season it was more of a partnership between Lois and Clark. With the success of the show, they were also able to increase the budgets a bit and move into more sci-fi and fantasy elements. The networks wouldn't actually air the show in color or broadcast anything in color until seven years after the series ended, but the producers knew they wanted this to be color, so after the first two 26-episode black-and-white seasons, they made the shift to color, cutting back from 26-episode orders to 13-episode orders, and put in another 52 episodes in four years that way. And the cast strung right through to the end. The end of the sixth season after that one, the actor who played Perry White passed away. They were going to work around that with some creative editing. Then George Reeves also passed away. And that is a whole story in and of itself. It was handled fairly well in Hollywoodland, starring Ben Affleck, uh, who did a decent job as George Reeves in that film. Uh, what it basically boils down to is that George Reeves died as a party 
he had found he was found dead with a gunshot wound to the head. There's questions about whether it was truly a suicide as it was ruled, or whether he had a little bit of help since he was actually involved with a mobster's girlfriend at the time. You might question the man who gets involved in a mobster's girlfriend and what kind of person he was. To give some context to that, as soon as these hit production and George Reeves knew he was going to be seen in public as Superman, he immediately quit smoking because he did not want children to see Superman or Clark Kent smoking. He felt that was not appropriate for a role model, which is a pretty strong stand on smoking for 1951. And he also stopped dating people in public because he wanted people to believe that you know, it was Clark Kent and Lois Lane. So he was only seeing the women he was seeing in private, either his home, her home, or a mutual friend's home. And that's how basically his private life was being run. He took the public image of Superman very, very seriously, which to me speaks volumes about the kind of guy he actually was. That's pretty much all there is that I have to say about Superman and the Mole Man from 1951. And Superman would then go off the air, or at least off the, the feature film screen, for 27 years. The character would see the six-season run in The Adventures of Superman. He would appear in a few more animated series in between, but we wouldn't see him on the big screen again until December 1978. And that is going to be the subject of our next podcast. So join us on June 14th as we discuss the Richard Donner Superman film.